Titus. Today, of course, we'll be looking at the first four verses of Titus. So we'll read the first four verses and a few more and give a little bit of an introduction uh, to this lovely book as you uh, start this study. So please turn with me to First Titus and we'll look at the first four verses and then a couple more. Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the knowledge and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but that in due times manifested his word through preaching which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, my own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 5, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou should set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Then moving to chapter 2 and verses 6 and 7, Young men, Likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and, sense, and sincerity. Then verse 11 to 14, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in, his pres in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and for the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And then lastly, chapter 3 and verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will, that thou affirm constantly, that they, have, that they which believe in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. And God will bless the reading of his precious word. Now, uh, it falls upon me to do a small introduction as well to this lovely book, of Titus, you know, this is this, as you would already know, uh, since you have been studying the book of Timothy, that it forms the uh, pastoral epistles: Timothy, one, First Timothy, Second Timothy, and and the book of Titus. And the book of Titus is been written just after the first uh, Timothy. And as you would see, and, and and as you would go through this book of Titus, you would see the similarities that are there with 1st Timothy and Titus and you will see that the style is the same, the language in a lot of uh, areas is the same, the concerns are the same that the Apostle Paul brings and, 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 and he also talks about the, the false teachers and so you would see a lot of similarities but then again they are distinct in a lot of ways as well as you would go through you will come to understand it. Now about the author, now we all know that the author is uh, Paul, a servant of God, and as as has been the uh, the system in those days, that the writer would probably introduce himself way up front, unlike in the days that we live in, 
we write letters and we sign it at the end and so basically sometimes you have to go and look at who's written it first and then you read the whole letter that's what usually happens but here we know in the, in the custom in that day that Paul is the one who is writing this letter and he has and he has made it clear himself right at the very beginning of the letter now what about the recipients of this letter what about the recipients of this letter and we know that it is given here in verse 4 that the recipient is Titus Titus mine own son and Titus as we know is the recipient of this letter but having said that as you would go a little bit later and as you would come towards the end of chapter 3 Paul uses that word all read them that love us in the faith grace be with you all and so the understanding is that not only was Titus the recipient of the letter but the the idea is that the letter probably would have been read to the assemblies there and so Titus and the, the assembly in Crete but by the grace of God today we have God's word and today we are reading this letter we are understanding this letter and these letters concern great truths for the assembly of God's people and so the, the, the recipient of this is, is Titus. Now, Titus. Now, as we think a little bit about this man, you know, it would be good to understand him, to understand what, who he is. Now, in this, in this book, you, of course, will, will, will not get much about Titus. But if you go throughout the New Testament, you would see probably occasions where you would come to know that uh, there is much given about Titus. You know, his, his name uh, occurs, I think, around about 12 times in the New Testament, uh, predominantly in in 2nd Corinthians and then in the book of Galatians and then Timothy and Titus of course I think there are 12 occasions where Titus is mentioned and and all these 12 occasions as you would go and read about these verses that are given concerning him you, you will be able to see the the character of the man you will be able to understand what he stands for and you'll be able to know more about him so looking thinking a little bit about him if you go to the book of Galatians you will see in chapter 2 these are the words that are mentioned about 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 uh, about Titus and it says then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me and I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles but privately to those who were of reputation lest by any mean I might run or had run in vain yet not even Titus who was with me being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised now of course we come to know about Titus here that Titus was a Gentile these verses tell us and he was a Greek that has also been mentioned to us and so here we come to know a little bit about Titus but there is something else that you come to know in these verses that we have read I take it that these verses talk about the occasion in chapter 15 of the book of Acts when the Apostle Paul had made that journey to go and discuss with the council about the effects of uh, getting the being, uh, effects of having been circumcised as a way to being saved and it is there that this discussion happens and what we know is that along with Paul and Barnabas Titus made that journey to 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 go there now as you think a little bit about this journey that he would have made and all this discussion that would have been happening about him and him being a Gentile and the requirement of him being uh, being uh, uh, being circumcised what comes before us is the character of his faith you know when you think a little bit about pressure that we individuals live in sometimes we are caught in the discussions that are going on you want to think about what is being said about you and when the pressure upon you is too much you sometimes give way 
But having been here, thinking about all these things, uh, going through these discussions about these, these big Jewish uh, men who, who, who know the word of God so well, Titus was there. And, he, 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 and, and as you would see that he went on in his faith and grew in his faith. So here we know a little bit through these verses about the strength of his faith. But then when you, when you come toward, towards the book of Corinthians, you would see a little bit more that you come to know about him. When you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, you read around, the, around verse 13 about the Apostle Paul going in to preach into a place called Troas. And, Troas, and he's very happy that the, doors, the door for presenting the message of the gospel has been opened for him. But he says in verse 13, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother. What it tells us tells us this that, that Titus was a very valued partner in proclaiming the message of the gospel along with Paul. And him not being there, Paul felt the weight of it. I had no rest in my spirit. So here was a man who was who was not only had the strength of uh, faith, but here was a man who was a valued partner by a great servant of God who looked upon him to help in proclaiming the message of the truth. And then as you go on towards chapter 7, you read a little bit about, uh, about the comfort that he brought to the Apostle Paul. And verse 6 says, Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. So here is a man who brought comfort to, to the downcast. You know, you live in situations sometimes, as I said, when, when, there are, when there are difficulties, when the pressure of work is more, and you have some of your colleagues not being there, but the moment they are back, you know that they are, they are there and they will take care of things. And here was one uh, who, who brought comfort to the downcast, uh, and it's mentioned about, about, about Titus. And then when as you go on, you come towards uh, verse uh, 15 in chapter 7, and you read there another, another uh, uh, aspect of Titus, and it says, And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with freer and trembling you received him. So, the, so when Titus came to uh, the brother in Corinth, the apostle Paul says that they, that they with fear and trembling received him. This tells us something about him. Possibly with what I would understand that Titus probably would think with matters of God, he probably would have been very strict. He wanted things to be put in place. He was one who, had, uh, who wanted the things of God to be orderly. Probably that is why the Apostle Paul put him there first. And then we read on that he was also a man who had great affection for saints. Now, you would know, many of us would have known uh, the Lord's servants who have been in times past, been, been like that. They have had the great, great zest for the word of God, but yet they have great love for, for saints. I particularly remember uh, a gentleman named uh, Michael Brown. I don't know if many of you know him. Michael Brown, when I was a young boy, Michael Brown used to make the journey to India. And he used to travel across India and go and visit many assemblies, especially in the south, southern part of India. And whenever Michael Brown used to uh, come to, uh, uh, to, to the place where I belong from, Nagpur, the elders used to say to us, remember, Michael Brown is coming. He doesn't like you making too much mischief. He doesn't like disturbances. He wants you to be attentive and listen to the word of God. So when there was a little bit of noise, Michael Brown would make it very clear that he's getting disturbed. 
and he would ask you to leave. So those were men who were very much passionate about the word of God. They used to preach with great, great zest and that brought some good knowledge to us as we were growing up. But having said that, though he was a strict man, you would know that Michael had great love for the saints of God. I, one of the things that I remember with, 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 with about Michael was that whenever he's, he was on this journey, he would go and stay with families rather than go and stay in a hotel. Staying with, in families in India is very, very difficult. But Michael was one who had great love for the saints. And so there have been people like that. And Titus was one of them. He, had great, he, was, he was very jealous and had zest for the work of God. But also he had love for the saints. And then as you go on towards 2 Corinthians and read in 8, you would see that he was one who had gone to uh, do the collection for the saints of Jerusalem. So here was one who had great, great care for the saints as well. And we see Titus's willingness to travel to Corinth and he... And and he, and he brought, we brought the, the, the money that was collected. It is also said of him that he was trustworthy in financial matters, the Apostle Paul says. And so the picture is building here of a man, of Titus the man, a man who had, who had great strength in his faith. He had character in his faith. He withstood what happened in, in Acts chapter 15, all the conflict that was risen around it, and yet he went on. Then we think about him as one who was, who was a valued partner of the Apostle Paul. One who, who was, had zest for the work of God. And one who, who, who was trustworthy in many aspects. And so a little bit about, uh, about Titus the man. But then what is the purpose of this, of this, of this uh, uh, episode that has been written? Now in verse 5 that we read we come to know what it is said. And it says this. For this cause left I thee in Crete that thou should set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And so that was the, the, the main purpose that was given to him. you know. The, and as you would understand you would see that the, the, the teaching in this chapter is directed towards the local assemblies there and the personal conduct of the assembly in relation to the world. And the communication from the Apostle Paul is very clear to, to Titus as to what needs to be done. And so so Paul has established this assembly and he has left Titus to, to organize the assembly of God's people. And so he goes on in chapter 1 you would see as you would go through the chapter that initially there is the discussion about the qualification of the elders. And then there is a discussion towards the end about how you have to be beware of false teachers. Then you go into chapter 2, then you would see about the conduct of different groups that are mentioned. Be it the older men, the women, the, the young men or the bond servants. And the conduct that is requirement is given. And finally when you come into chapter 3, you see that the conduct of Christians in society in general is given. And chapter 3 starts with, uh, starts with the, the how you should bow to the, the rulers and authorities and to one another. And so the, the, the purpose has been given by, by, by the Apostle Paul. And, to, and, and to, 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 to execute this purpose, the Apostle Paul defines certain words in this epistle. And those words are very clearly given, which is a clear request of what is to be done. He discusses Christian behavior, as we said. And, and in, in discussing Christian behavior, he uses the word good works many times in this chapter. Chapter, chapter 2, verse 7. In all things... Showing yourself 
to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence and incorruptibility. And so the requirement of Christian behavior and the basis of Christian behavior is good works. And then he goes, goes on to discuss it and he, and he talks about how the good works would be in opposition to the rebellious man, how it will be in opposition to the, the lawless deeds that have been mentioned. And he talks about how the Lord Jesus Christ saved, saved us from these lawless deeds. But then the other word that is used is the, the word sound. And that word is being used in connection with sound doctrine, sound in the faith, sound in speech. And this along with good works found, form the basis of what the Apostle Paul is trying to, to say. He says he uses sound doctrine that is required, sound faith. And sound speech. And then there are a few more verses, but these I found as being key in delivering the message that the Apostle Paul is, is giving. And now as he thinks about delivering this message, you know, he makes once again his communication very clear to, to Titus. And when, he's, when he talks to Titus, he, he uses words that are very powerful. Now, as you would, as you would see the Apostle Paul writing, and, and, and as it is with Scripture, every word has got a meaning. Every word has got an importance that is connected to him. And here you will see how the Apostle Paul directs uh, Titus. In, 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 uh, in, cha in chapter 1 and 5, we, we thought about uh, how he needs to appoint the elders. But then, as you go on, in chapter 2... <coughs> Verse 6, he says, likewise, exhort the young men, exhort the young men to be sober minded. Verse 7, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Then again, in, in, in verse 9, exhort the bond servants, speak and exhort. And so these words are being used. <clears throat> and then towards the end, he says, avoid dissension. Avoid dispute, avoid, avoid contention about and strivings about the law. And so the Apostle Paul is very clear in what he wants to say. He has given clear instructions and clarity of thought and clarity of what the requirement has been there for Titus to do. And so as we look at these four verses, four, four verses that we have, this is, we've got to keep in mind the basis of what, what the, the, the purpose of it and also the charge that has been given uh, to Titus. And so let's look at, at verse 1. So the verse 1 starts with Paul, a servant of God. Now as you think of the Apostle Paul, you think of the position that he is taking. He's taken a position of the servant of God. In other words, he probably is, he calls himself a slave of God. This probably is the only place where he's using the word servant of God. There have been other places where he has used the servant of Jesus Christ, but this is the place where he has used a servant of God. You have to note, of course, that the Apostle Paul is a well-educated man. He was a free-born Roman citizen, yet you think about the place that he has taken. He has taken the place, a lowly place, of, of being a servant of God. Now, as, as being a servant of God, there is responsibilities that are attached you know, to servants. You think of servants, they, 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 they've got a responsibility and their responsibility is to take care of the possession of their master. To take care and to enhance the work of the master. And Paul takes that very uh, to heart and you would see how he works to, to proclaim the message of the gospel. When you come to think of him as an apostle, we'll see that. But that is the responsibility that he has taken. But having said that, he also delights in this. You would see that he uses the, the word servant many times in his ministry. There is delight in him. There is happiness in him of using uh, the word. He delights that the work of God is progressing. And he talks about Think of the, uh, uh, the parable of the three uh, servants 
names that were given uh, five, two, and one talent respectively. You know, the one who had five and two talents, they, they went and took the masters, what the master had given and they doubled it. They had delight in what they did and, and, and the master was very joyous with them. Think of, 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 of him, as, him as one as well. He was very happy in doing the work of God. That was the delight that he had. It was, that was based on that great relationship that he, we ha that he had with, with, with God. Why do we need to delight as being called servants of God then? Why should we delight? Because the Bible says this. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, 6 and 19, he says, Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Then it goes on to say, You are bought with a price. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. First Peter says this, Knowing that redeemed or bought, you have been redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb. It's very important for us to understand that we have been bought by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore we should delight to take that, uh, that place. You know, uh, the, for the Apostle Paul, it was an honor. If you would, if you would go to certain areas of the world where uh, where, there, where where servants are quite regularly used, and if you would uh, sometimes uh, you know take the ask the servant if you could help with something, they would be a little bit distressed because for them it is an honor to serve the family, and here was apost the apostle Paul showing that same kind of honor. See, you know sometimes we live in a generation where you know the the servant spirit is sometimes missing from us. We are here to serve. We are here to be able to put our fleshly desires behind us and think of us in, as a servants of God. And when we think of us as servants of God, that is portrayed in our, in our relationship with others. That is portrayed in the way that we do things. And therefore we need to always remember that we need to try and identify ourselves as the Apostle Paul did, as servants of God. He, our Lord Jesus Christ himself is an example, isn't it? You know, we, we talk of him, how he left everything above and came into this world and took upon himself the form of a servant. And he is our example, the way he was obedient to his, his master God. And if we take that example and we put ourselves in that place, our journey, our Christian journey will always be very, very easy. And so then he goes on and he talks about being the apostle of Jesus Christ. To the world he was, he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. His relationship with the world is that he, he was a representative here of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he had been given that, that authority by the Lord Jesus Christ to go and proclaim the message of the gospel. You know the, the requirements of the apostleship. You know, the requirement of the apostleship was they had to come and witness the Lord's death the Lord's life and the Lord's resurrection. But Apostle Paul was unique. He was personally called by the Lord Jesus Christ and added to that. And so he takes great passion in the work that he, that he does. You know, think, of, think of Abraham who sends his servant away. And, and the servant goes in and to, to look for a bride for his uh, master's son Isaac. And the servant is given clear instructions on what he needs to do. And he goes with great, he goes with great uh, listening to the obedience and he makes that journey. And he asks God for help throughout that journey to show him the one that is be, to be chosen for Isaac. And he gets the right bride for, 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 uh, for, for Isaac and comes back. The same the, the Apostle Paul says in Second Corinthians, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a cast virgin to Christ. So one day the Apostle Paul's uh, vision is that he would be present to us as, as, as the bridegroom of Christ. 
And so thinking a little bit about the Apostle Paul and the, 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 his apostleship, let's think a little bit about his mission. And, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 27 to 29, this is probably put, put well together. I was re- reading David Guzik on this and it's, he says this, First, we'll read the first Colossians 1, 27 to 29. And it goes this way. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. And so Paul's preaching is focused. His mission is focused to preach about the Lord Jesus Christ. His method is to to warn, to taught, to teach in wisdom. And he wants every man to hear the word of God. And the goal of his mission is to present every man perfect in, in, in Christ Jesus. And so that is a little bit about Paul, God's uh, servant, and Paul the Apostle. But then there is a little bit more given about him. And he says in, in the second part of that verse, to bring the understanding of truth which is after godliness. To bring the understanding of the truth which is after godliness. So so we are thinking here of, of what the Apostle Paul is focusing on. He's focusing now to, to those who were saved. Now he's going to bring the word of God, which is the truth. Now we need to understand, isn't it, that the word of God is the truth and the final truth. As believers, we know this. As believers, we have been brought up with this. And that is the end of it. There is no other way that we look at the word of God. And, and being the truth, what it helps us is that it leads us towards godliness. It leads us towards godliness. The more closer we are to this truth, the more closer we, our walk is with Christ. The more closer our walk is with Christ, the more pleasing is our life, our life to God. And therefore the importance of understanding the truth cannot be underestimated. Think of Enoch and, 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 and Genesis in Genesis and we, we read about him that Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God and a little bit more is given about him in Hebrews chapter 11 and it is described as one who pleased God. So here was one who walked with God, here was one who pleased God and that is only possible when we as individuals have got the understanding of the truth of the word of God. And the Apostle Paul says is that, that it is important for us to understand that we, and, and it is his duty to make us understand the uh, the the truth which truth of God and bring and bring us to godliness and so that is the, the f- first verse now let's look a little bit at the second verse in the second verse we see that he says that it is in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world world began and so he's talking here of the hope of eternal life now that is something we as believers have. That is something that we look up to. That is something that drives us on a daily basis. And if it not, then there is a problem. It should drive us daily. The hope of eternal life. You know, this is what brings us to, 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 to an understanding of, of what God is. Imagine not having that hope of eternal life. The world would be such a, such a place of darkness. I cannot even imagine as you think of the, the way things are progressing at this moment of time in the world. And think of people having nothing to look forward to. But we as Christians have got the great honor and the great privilege 
of having eternal life and 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 so the word hope when i was when i was a little bit young i used to always think why is the word hope is used why is the word hope used because hope what does it mean in the english dictionary the word hope means of something that might have happened to bring an outcome or something that may happen to bring a, a, a desired outcome but that is not the hope that, that that the bible talks about the greek term for hope is an eager and confident expectation and therefore as christians we have an eager and confident expectation of eternal life and that is something which brings us joy that is something for us to be excited about the 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 aspect of having eternal life and so the apostle paul is talking here about the eternal life and and as christians we have this great eternal hope the return of christ is the great hope the eternal hope of redemption of our bodies the eternal hope of witnessing his eternal glory and the eternal hope of being transformed into the likeness of christ and that is the great hope that we have that hope that is eager that hope that is uh, that has that has got confident expectation you know uh, as 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 parents sometimes it is the responsibility of us to make our children understand it and it is at times difficult to make this concept very very clear when you use the word hope but when you use the expect use the word eager and confident expectation and you speak about the darkness and you speak about the difficulty that life is bringing the light bulb goes on that is what happened with me the light bulb goes on that the that the that the future aspect of eternal life is what is our reward for those who trusted him and so as christians we need to dear brothers and sisters always rejoice in this fact whenever there are days at times when when we are low probably this is a fact that will bring you great joy and happiness this is a fact that we all need to look forward to and then he goes on to say and then he goes on to say the second part that which god that cannot lie promise promised before the world began promised before the world began a god that cannot lie now i'm sure the apostle paul knew that god does not lie and we all know that god cannot lie but there is a there is probably a reason that he is he is putting this word here if you would come towards uh, 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 towards chapter 1 and verse 12 you would see that that the, the description of the the cretians are given and it says one of themselves even a prophet of their own said the cretians always are always liars evil beasts slow bellies so probably the apostle paul is trying to make a point here he is you are he's uh, titus is among those people for whom lying is probably an habit and he is saying here that the the promise that god has given is not based on a lie a promise that he is given is something that is going to happen and the apostle paul is saying that this promise has been put way before the world has began way before the world has began and therefore the apostle paul is saying that the reliability of god's promise cannot go away and for those who trust the hope of eternal life will always be given away there are always there are always difficulties in our lives uh, when we go through when we go through different stages in our life but always coming to to the word of god and reading these verses about the promises of god are some are, are some that give us great confidence in what the lord has done and then he goes on and he comes to 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 verse 3 now we have uh, we have looked at verse 3 in, in, in when we did a little bit when we when you talked about the apostles uh, work 
But here we go again and says, But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching which is committed unto me. And so Paul states that, the, that, that what, what God has decreed in the eternity past has now been given to him to make proclamation of the gospel. I want to think a little bit about the, uh, the, 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 the timings of it, you know, the timings of it. You know, God is a God of great order. God is a God who works according to his time. And you would see when you go to Galatians that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. And therefore when the time had come, the apostle Paul was given, entrusted with the task of proclaiming the message of the gospel. And that is that, and it's, it goes on to say, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God the Savior. It has been committed unto him. It has been given to him to proclaim the message of of, of, of God our Savior and he makes it very very clear in this verses and you would see as you go through his life that he has been passionate about it and he's been going on preaching but what about us to us also it has been committed that as being Christians and as who who show the uh, show the Lord Jesus Christ through our lives it is our responsibility as well when the opportunity arises that we present the Lord Jesus Christ and we present him and we preach the message of his gospel there are times which are difficult there are times where and I, I think and, and, and I am one of those as well that when the opportunity arises we don't take that opportunity and when we go back we think oh that was an opportunity I should have taken that up but the Apostle Paul was not one of them Wherever the opportunity rose, he went and spoke. I think as Christians we have to really work on this because our responsibility is that we tell those who don't know the truth about the word of God. And we should never walk away from that truth. And that is why there are, there are so many less Christians today in this world. And it is because people are not taking up the responsibility that they should take. It is, it is difficult at times, but we need to, uh, just recently in India, we, uh, 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 the, on, on the national news in India, just maybe two weeks back, there was a man who was caught, and he was a well-known brother to us, and he was going into a village and, and giving a tract, and he was giving a tract, and, and whoever was ready to listen, he would speak to them. In India, currently, there is an anti-conversion law that is going on. And even, this, even though there is this law going on, this brother, not that he was breaking the law, whoever wanted to listen to him, he would speak. He never asked somebody to, uh, never forced somebody, but they caught him, the police caught him, they opened his bag, there was some money, and the, all over the media, it was shown that he was trying to convert people. But when, that, uh, when, the, when the, the, news, uh, the news teams came in, and they were talking to him, he was in the police station, even at that very moment, the brother spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was saying that when people come to me, I give them a tract and I tell them about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell them that he came to give his life for their sins and he died and rose again the third day. And we were sitting there and marveling that with what a person he is. Even in such difficult situations, he's been able to proclaim the message. He was in the, he was in the jail for a few days, but then he got bail and he's free now. And, 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 and though, though, though Christianity was a bit sad that, that, uh, that he was caught, but they all rejoiced in the fact that the message of the gospel had gone out globally and to so many audience. And therefore, that responsibility was taken literally by that brother. And so here, this responsibility that Paul has, Paul is, is being taken care of this responsibility very, very well. 
And so as we go on towards the last verse, we think here of Titus. He says, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the same expression as we discussed. It is the same expression you would have looked at it in First Timothy. And the Apostle Paul is talking of him as a son here as well. It is probably because the Apostle Paul has brought up Titus. In, he is probably his spiritual father, brought him up in the faith and, and took him to that place uh, where, 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 he, where he is now today. Many of us have got, had the privilege of men of God who have helped us on our journey who have brought us up to a place where we are, who, where we could understand the word of God. They have spent time uh, uh, giving their uh, valuable time to teach us and to talk to us about the word of God. And it is our responsibility that sometimes that, that we do the same for the generation that is coming up. And so here the Apostle Paul is talking about his, his own son. And then he goes on to talk about the aspect of common faith. And I, and I like this, uh, the, the, these words. And I'll tell you why I like it. Because, because you know, this is, this is something that unifies us. It is something that brings unity among the church of God. You know, it is something that, that cannot, be, uh, cannot be described, you know. It is a matter of faith. And wherever you go, wherever you go to whichever part of the world you go, you would find the Lord's people there who are proclaiming and worshipping Him and giving glory to His name. And that is something that brings, brings delight to me wherever I have traveled, be it cities in India or, or, or uh, around the world. We've always been able to find a place where the name of God is being, uh, be, being, being glorified. And so, so here, here he's talking about the common faith. And then he goes on to, uh, to say grace and peace. Paul is reminding him that he is the recipient of God's grace. Paul is reminding him that he's a recipient of the mercy of God. And Paul is reminding him that he's a recipient of the peace of God. And so as I end... Can I just say to you that this chap, as you go through this, this epistle, you would have a great time going through these verses and, and learning some great uh, uh, assembly truths as you go through this. But, but think of all the things that are being said. These are, these are truths, especially I enjoyed chapter 2 quite well and chapter 3 as well. And, and, and I hope that you have a good time as you go through it and you take these truths. And we pray that it will be a blessing to you all. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee once again for this privilege that thou hast given us to come into thy presence. We thank thee, Father, for thy word. We thank thee, Father, that we can so confidently say that it is the truth. And it is the truth that brings us to godliness. We pray, Father, that as individuals in our life, we may be able to keep this truth in our hearts, that we might not sin against thee. And that we may keep this truth in our hearts, that we may walk closer to Thee. And we may keep this truth in our hearts, Father, so that we can appreciate Thee and appreciate the work that Thy Son has done for us on the cross of Calvary. And we pray, Father, that this may be with us always. Now, Father, as we depart, we thank Thee, Father, for Thy blessings over us. And we thank Thee, Father, for Thy word. In the Savior's precious name, Amen.